This is the Get A Life Podcast, X-Cult Conversations. Hello and welcome to Get A Life, Cult Conversations. We have a very special guest on this week's edition of the podcast, coming to us all the way from New Zealand, Mr. Braden Simmons. And he has an extremely interesting history to tell us, and a personal history, uh, but he's also going to fill us in a little bit on the antics and activities of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church in New Zealand over the past 10 or 20 years. Um, maybe starting with the famous election, was it 2005, the, the Helen Clark election, Braden? Well, that's the most famous one, Richard. Hello, by the way. Um, nice hello. to see you again, obviously. Uh, that's the most famous one. Um, yeah, that's the one where things went most overboard um, with the, with the uh, mail-outs that were uh, authorised by people living in vacant properties um, and the mail-outs that were authorised by vacant people living in properties <laughs> and <laughs> the subsequent press conference of confession. Um, but, of course, uh, yeah, we, there's, there's plenty to unpack in that. Uh, that is not the election in which uh, the brethren, they've got a bit of a Russian style, say. Um, I've got, in fact, on, here's my um, Team Key t-shirt, a lovely little antique piece I retained from the 2014 election. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was just as a regular citizen, I assure you. So, so what was the what was the event where the brethren hired a private investigator to stalk the prime minister, and what were the parties involved in their affiliations? I mean, I take it the brethren are always supporting the the right wing, are they, in these political events? Although, of course, they don't support politicians at all. No, no. Obviously, see, they believe that government is of God, so um, it would be uh, lacking in faith to intervene in God's affairs. Oh, wait, no, 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 sorry, sorry. I'm thinking of people that have got integrity. Um, you know, the, 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 in the 2005 uh, election, now, I don't strictly know who hired the private investigators, but I do know that he probably had my last name. Um, so, obviously, there's a, there was this, the famous Secret Seven uh, of which were the, the, the gentlemen that took the press conference and um, cast their bodies in. Plymouth Brethren, yeah. Yeah, well, there was, so who was it uh, that were involved? So there was my Uncle Miles Wynn, now of Buenos Aires, and there was my Uncle Philip Wynn, his brother. Um, there was Nibble, who uh, have long time been, uh, you know, the, the Simmons boys have long time been uh, bag men for Sydney. Uh, in yeah, New Zealand, yeah. um, and uh, Greg Mason, Andy Smith, and perhaps one other. Um, so collectively, of course, they they arranged the uh, the the mail outs, the private investigator thing. Which, as I understand it, they were they simply um, hired PIs to follow around uh, Mr. Davis. I think his name was the Prime Minister's uh, husband. Uh, at the time, and uh, to put that in the, context, um, they were there were rumours that Mr. Davis was gay, and they thought that if they could prove that, that that would uh, be the political hit of the century, and and get get 
they'd get their man in power, Mr. Don Brash, instead. Um, it seemed to blow up rather in their faces, which is, it's happened to them a bit, actually, those cousins of mine. Um, yeah. So the, the fact that there's some bloke had been going through the Prime Minister's rubbish, searching for evidence of illicit homosexual affairs, it didn't play that well. Um, no, no. And, and we have to remember that some of our audience is unfamiliar with the Plymouth Brethren Church. So um, oh. just to kind of sum up what you said, uh, a number of brethren got together, approximately seven, who, as former members ourselves, we know would have been under the direct instruction of Mr. Bruce Hales in Sydney. Yeah, I, I think we, there's, no, there's no need to say we, we, we know they would. We, we, there's no need to qualify. They were. Okay, they were. They were under the direct instruction of Bruce Hales, who is the leader of the Plymouth Brethren cult. And they hired a private investigator called, was he Wayne Edua, um, ex-cop, I believe, or ex-security, um, ex, um, um, well, well, what's your, SIS is it called in New Zealand, your... Yeah, the Secret Intelligence Service, yes, yeah, okay. And he was following around, basically he was trying to dig dirt on the on the left-wing prime minister's husband and any other left-wing politician with the intent of influencing the result of the election to try and get a right-wing politician into the uh, seat of prime minister and ruling party. Is that, is that the, the germ of the story? It's the germ of the story, yeah. Um, you know, Bruce Hales has got, uh, you know, a, a long history of favoring the right-wing government, but it's not just, it's not, I mean, I'm a somewhat conservative person. Um, is, uh, Bruce doesn't, he, he wants, the politicians that he finds he can work with seem mostly to be of a certain grade of um, somewhat more toxic uh, uh, politicians. Um, let's, let's not the fact John Key, I like John Key. Um, they, 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 they're authoritarians, and I think the, the common theme tends to be that their uh, ideals are for a sort of an authoritarian, uh, patriarchal society, not yeah. unlike the yeah. brethren. Um, now, that's not that you can say in public if you're in politics, but it is yeah. something you can work towards and you can accept assistance from that kind of person. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that quite a few politicians on the right, especially, are somewhat, uh, they, they really are quite naive about who these people are. Um, yeah. And they close their eyes, perhaps, and don't want to know more. But it, it's it's easy and it, to, to, to not dig too deep. Um, yeah. When there's money flowing away. Yeah, especially when the money is there. Away. I mean, it's one of those, you know, if you... One of those excellent moral lessons you can get from horror movies is that if there's a tentacle poking out front of the bed, you don't move the fucking bed. You back slowly. <laughs> <out there. laughs> Unless um, you're a female. Yeah, is that if you're a politician and you're getting offered money by the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, uh, frankly, there's, there's, there's four tentacles and a severed limb on the floor. Yeah, um, yeah. And they're like, oh, this is fine. You come join me here. <laughs> So, so what happened was, if I remember rightly, is that days before the election, 
somehow Wayne, the, the PI decides to go public or is outed, somewhat like David Wallace in Canada, and blows this whole thing wide open, again, somewhat like the Klondike papers. And it actually resulted, almost certainly caused the election to go the opposite way that the Brethren intended. Is that is that right? Yeah, I don't think the private investigator was the primary driver of that <clears throat> particular disaster. Um, the primary driver of it was that spending uh, 400,000 or maybe more, maybe a million, uh, on leaflet drops attacking the Green Party and, and, and the Labour Party, which were authorised by individuals living in vacant properties, or as I know, authorised by vacant individuals not living in their rightful places. Um, and and that, was the, that was the brethren behind that? Well, yes. Absolutely. That's not very legal. Um, they had yeah. to front up. Uh, yeah. um, uh, so the investigation was the first conference and they all owned up. And Do, uh, Don, Don Brash, the, the attract, um, he first denied having had, you know, knowing anything about it. And then it kind of came out um, slowly and awkwardly in the worst possible way that he did know quite a bit about it. <laughs> And that's, that definitely did hurt him. Um, that was probably not so much, uh, yeah, it was, there was a whole toxic mix of, of a little bit of dishonesty um, and a lot of, it, it came out in the worst possible way. So yes, it did give the Labour government a third term, which, I mean, you can't even look at a counterfactual and say this is what would have happened, but yes. you can speculate that it probably did give yeah. uh, Labour their third term, yeah. yeah. Um, so, like I say, I mean, you know, if you, it's very easy if you're doing things for the wrong way to achieve the opposite thing to what you were trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, yes, exactly. That does not dissuade my friend Mr. Bruce Hales from continuing to try. So, if you heard that, if you heard that David Wallace, sort of private investigator and political. Um, agent extraordinary had been asked by the brethren to try and find some way to whip up a scandal to take down the Justin Trudeau Liberal government in Canada. Would that surprise you or not? I would be surprised if it was not true. <laughs> I, I, you know, um, I, I, I'm very, very familiar with the way that these, these uh, gentlemen conduct their work. Um, and I'm familiar with the personalities at, at some level over here. I'm not familiar with the personalities at the top of the church in Canada, but uh, Trudeau, all of the, he, he's just the kind of person that Bruce Hales's uh, megalomania would, 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 would decide that he can get yeah. rid of this. Man. He, he can get rid of this. Yep. Well, thank you. That, that, that's very yeah. interesting. There seems to be a lot of parallels between that New Zealand situation and our more recent uh, experiences here. Um, so can we jump on a little bit in New Zealand history to some more recent news that hit the fan um, uh, relating to Thompson and Clark? And oh, possibly, I've forgotten, Shell's possibly got a, a news article she can pop up. We could, we could just look at on that one. No, no, Thompson and Clark. Yeah. 
So oh, hang on. Well, this is this is the this is the the first thing we were talking about. So this is um, New Zealand Herald. Brethren dug dirt on Helen Clark. Yeah. Uh, uh, this yeah. is yeah, well, this is Quite Peter Bay. Yeah. Yeah. So this is actually Mr. Mr. Idor evidently um, Labour supporters. This is in two thousand six. So this is after that election. Yeah. Um, that he's evidently fronted up. Um, for the for the podcast listeners who are listening to the audio it says miss clark that's the that's the prime minister of new zealand at the time said this week that she had been told by two credible sources the secretive religious sect that's the brethren had sought to have her and dr davis followed by private eyes uh, dr davis is her husband she revealed the claim after the Sunday Star Times, an investigative magazine, reported rumours that Dr. Davis was gay. Miss Clark has attacked the rumours as a smear campaign orchestrated by her political opponents and the Brethren. Mr. Eider um, confirmed the Brethren had sought to uncover information on any illegal activities committed by Labour. That included Miss Clark and Dr. Davis. Mr. Eider also revealed information that they had gathered information they had gathered had played a hand in the scandal surrounding cabinet minister David Benson Pope's conduct as a former high school teacher and colleague Davis, David Parker's former business dealings. Um, Mr. Idur said that he and his colleagues had also collected information on Deputy Prime Minister Michael Cullen. So, so actually, this is probably a good point to play that uh, video clip from New Zealand Parliament, Cheryl. Um, this is I David Parker. My time as a minister, similar action in my case by private investigators who were stupid enough to out themselves on TV. And there's no doubt that those private investigators were at, at, at being paid for by the exclusive brethren following and investigating me, Michael Cullen and David Benson Pope and probably Peter Davis and the prime minister as well. And this was admitted by a private investigator who forgot the word private and did a public interview, which was a silly acknowledgement. But it did show that there are actually intrusions into the civil liberties of me, every other member of parliament, and every member of the public in New Zealand that are not properly controlled by our current laws. The most remarkable Sorry. thing Sorry. about the first... <laughs> that uh, is, yeah. So uh, certainly, um, from the from the con given the the history and, and the, of what is known, um, uh, there's no doubt at all in my mind that the that the a plot to 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 manufacture or find a scandal on Mr. Trudeau would absolutely absolutely have been. Um, in line with previous activities, no doubt. Yeah, it's their MR, isn't it? It's their MR, it is. how they operate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's how Bruce Hales operates. It's how he thinks. Yeah. Uh, he yes, likes yes. to get people into a corner, you see. Yes, as he says. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm quoting him. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah. he, he's very quotable. He likes to talk about himself. And so if you're trying to talk about him, his own, you know, the horse's mouth is as good as any other. <laughs> he's not the man of God though. he's just a very intelligent man 
Um, so moving moving on to more recent New Zealand history, um, Shell, have you got that Thompson and Clark article? We could we could yeah. start with that, and then Braden can can fill us in on that one. That would be very interesting. Hang on. Yeah, uh, while we wait, obviously Thompson and Clark, it's it's not they are. Uh, a similar firm um, with a, you know, a founded by gentlemen from a law enforcement slash secret intelligence background, uh, but it's not a you know, particularly controversial one for whatever reason. The, the government hired them into, uh, to monitor people in Christchurch that uh, the, 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 the um, earthquake commission hired them and that became a scandal and of course then the government uh, passed a blanket ban on hiring them, I believe. Um, but okay, that's so, yeah. So they're, they're, they've got a they're a firm with a history and not a, not a good that, reputation. Not a reputation as operating, um, yeah, in in a, in a altogether ethical way, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> um, so what was the headline again, Cheryl? You scroll scroll up or down. Uh, so this is New Zealand Herald again. Exclusive brethren use Thompson and Clark to spy on former members. And uh, Nikki Hager reports the exclusive brethren church has been using the controversial private investigators Thompson and Clark to spy on former members of the church. Over the past two years, Thompson and Clark has conducted hundreds of hours of surveillance on former members who have criticized the cult like church. The private investigators have watched ex-brethren from cars and park surveillance vans have taken photographs of people entering and leaving their homes. Uh, and then, um, yeah, just scroll down a bit. Uh, just leave our little section there. Thompson and Clark has continued the same operations for private clients, including the exclusive brethren. It has built dossiers on at least 20 ex-members known or believed to be critics of the church. They contain information for monitoring social media, public records, and information gathered from street surveillance, combined with information supplied by the church leadership. Mm. So, Braden, tell us tell us about this. What was what was all this about, please? Yeah, charming fellows. Uh, well, there's there's things I do know, things I can speculate on, and things I don't know. Um, Things I do know is that I was one of those individuals. Um, I, I based that on the fact that I caught the silly bastards following me. They they weren't very discreet. Um, mm. Probably on you know, either they don't have the skills to be discreet, which is is possible, or else possibly they were instructed to, to, to do it in as intrusive a way as possible, which is also possible. To intimidate you, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I I think that's quite likely. Um, but so you got these people with they wore headpieces and and uh, yeah they followed my car on at least one occasion uh, and I saw what I thought was probably agents on other occasions. Apparently, in fact, um, I didn't know it at the time, but they were watching my home for twenty four seven for perhaps two weeks um, or longer. Um, Do you know the reason, like, why were they, why were they so keen to watch you? Well, in this case, and I don't like to, um, I don't like to butter Lance Christie, uh, although I'm sure he would like me to. Um, he was staying at my house. 
um, I had made a, a strategic tactical decision to have the guy. Um, many of your viewers will know who Lance Christie is. Some in Canada will not. Um, he's a, a former member of the Brethren from the United Kingdom, um, a fairly vociferous critic of the church's practices. Uh, he's been terribly, terribly badly treated. He's one of those individuals that I believe church members were made to sign a commitment to not have any contact with. Um, now, the another person on that list, I believe, was yourself, Mr. Marsh. I understand that, yeah. 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 Um, now, Christie was being followed extensively around the world, and um, I wanted to have him to stay at my house because um, because I wanted certain individuals to have to explain to me why he's why this man is the devil, um, which of course they, they couldn't and didn't, but they did watch my house while he was there, um, and possibly since I don't know. I mean, I am critical not of the church per se but of the way that it's led um and if you're a there's a, there's certain patterns of behavior that um I, I just recently watched that certain patterns of behavior that are very common to this kind of uh entity if you will uh, the, i watched a a documentary the other day on the wire card scandal which is a german conglomerate that was just a house of cards um in a very similar way and it, it a Financial Times inv uh, uh, journalist investigated it, and he was followed by private detectives, and there was all of the same kind of things. Yeah. And it's the same kind of, of, of toolbox that individuals draw on when they've got a lot to lose and a lot to hide, um, including, of course, you know, in some cases, you know, there's, there's of course, there's private investigators and there's, um, you know, sending emailing private phone records and there's um, yeah. all of that kind of thing. It's, it's all very, very similar. Yeah. Uh, talking about private phone records, I mean, as you know, I mm. had the experience that Brad Mitchell sent to David Wallace my wife's itemized phone bill. Well, not the bill, but the, the phone record, the phone mm. log, even though we don't have itemized phone bills. Um, so it wasn't anything they'd got legitimately by going through our garbage. This must have been obtained from the telecoms company. Do you have any yeah. um, ideas how the Brethren might have obtained that? Do they have any link with telecoms business that they could have leveraged to get that information? Well, yes. uh, so as you know, so that tales is, is increasingly centralized and it's using that centralization to to develop and use create its buying power and of course ubt's telecom services which are effectively a block of of however many in canada it might be five thousand you know phone connections and internet connections or some such that they can all yeah. practically direct to a telecoms company which is a big chunk of customers and yeah. at that level of course the telecoms that's an important customer and it's very, very easy to, you know, to once you've got an important customer like that. Bruce Hales is very expert in the best way you can say it is, is corrupting people. Yeah. This is uh, the first time that this has been said either. So like coming from Maple Creek, I have cousins that, um, that left 
And that's what they were told. There was two out of the three were told that they were better off dead than to get out mm. into the world. And it's just, it's trying to get these viewers to understand when, when I sit there and I say to myself, people are like, oh no, there would never be a mass suicide in there. There would never be a mass suicide in there. Here, I, I, to me, I would not put it past them because of how he talks. And when he's telling people that they're better off dead than leaving out into the world, it's just the, the way that this man thinks is absolutely so unhuman-like. There's just so, there's no human compassion and empathy or blood that runs through his brain. I swear his head is completely detached from his body. I would, yeah, I, I would never say that there would never be a mass suicide uh, in the exclusive breather, not because, it, it, yeah, it, it's the, the underlying patterns, you know, there's all of the superficial stuff. They've got their own culture, their own little background, their own story of who they are. But the underlying patterns of power and control, the hierarchy and, and, and the vested interests, the money, the power, it's all very, very similar to the kind of things that motivated people like uh, Jim Jones. Yes. Now, it's all well and good when it's well and good. Mm -hmm. Jim Jones, his people would have probably said something similar, but then one day an American congressman flew in and was going to investigate Jonestown. And all of the cards began to fall, and that's when it happened. Um, when people are brought to account, when, when Vladimir Putin's house of cards begins to fall, he might fire a nuclear weapon. You know, it, 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 he might do that. It's not rational, no, but... That's what people do when the cards are, are coming at, coming down. Yeah. So that's when that kind of thing could happen. And what the danger is, it's not what the brethren are now, but it's what their leaders might do if things began to, if there was another Aberdeen type um, event. Yeah. And which we all know that there's there's so much that's being exposed now and so many things that are falling. I mean, the wow. amount of people that, that come through my emails and my, my phone, just recently wow. more and more of these types of abuse that are going on, that once enough people get courageous to come forward and start talking, it's mo it is very likely that a lot of this will tumble down. And I guess I, it is one of those things that I that I do lay awake and think and like just hope that if there can be some sort of enough exposure on this, that I I just I would never I would never want my parents to. Um, I just know my I just know I just know my parents. I know my parents would follow follow whatever orders they're given. Yeah, um, I, I think that a well, you know, the, I guess the acid question is the acid test is not really whether that such a, an order like that will ever be given, which you know it's still unlikely. But but what we can say is that if such an order were given, is a significant number of people would follow it. Yes, and exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. 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 I think it's important to note too, when you really think about it, Bruce Hales has had absolute control for a lot longer than some of the leaders have had. You know, his yep. father was in control for what, 13 years? Um, JHS was in control for what, 16 years, 15 years? I don't think, I don't think John Hales had, uh, had uh, 13 years of power. He might have had seven. Um, yeah. he was very much an old man by then. And of course, you know, there's others that will tell you just how much Bruce Hales was pulling the reins. Um, yeah. he, he, he yeah. arranged a deal to help a, a, an election program to help John Howard get elected, which was in 1996, um, without telling John Hales, 
um, and after violated his principles, um, Bruce Hales has pulled the same trick and allowed his four guys to take the blame. Um, and he himself was was the white sheep that was completely innocent. Um, you know, he, he's he's definitely betrayed and undermined his own father. I, I in quite quite remarkable ways, considering how much he talks about the guy as being such a wonderful man. Yeah. Um, but that's stepping back. Uh, we were talking about uh, Dr. Um, sorry. We we're talking about Dr. Phillips. Ah, uh, yeah, Dr. Mick Phillips. Yeah. So the irony is, so um, Dr. McPhillips was was telling me that I should never ever leave the exclusive brethren, and simultaneously the exclusive brethren were telling me that I should kill myself. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, as you do. But I, I, I followed his advice. I didn't have any other advice that I'd paid £400 an hour to obtain, and I figured that I might as well get my money's worth. Um, but what's striking is, is that in December 2021, I believe, I had, of course, been outside the Britain for some time, uh, Muhammad Sahail, now that's a Facebook account, I, I, whether he's a, a pseudonym or a devout Muslim convert or a former member of the Brethren Assembly in Mogadishu, I do not know. But he's on Facebook. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, no, check it out. He posted a post, a, a Facebook post. Dr. Mike McPhillips, that's the gentleman. This is Dr. Mike. He practices in London. He has a profitable arrangement with the PBCC cult. The, the PBCC send its many psychologically distressed members to Dr. Mike. Dr. Mike directs his patients to remain under the PBCC's control. The patients are not made aware of this arrangement. They pay Dr. Mike hundreds of pounds per hour. PBCC members in psychological distress, choose your own medical professional. Now that post, obviously, if we have a look at it, generated lots and lots and lots of comments, um, including, of course, from myself um, and others, many telling a very similar story um, to my own. And that was quite startling. But then in March, 2022, six months ago or so, there was the news on, on, on the Daily Mail and some other sites that Dr. McPhillips had, had taken his own life. And then uh, that was startling. It turned out that he had hung himself um, in public, in a public place. Uh, and of course, then there was the recent news following the inquest, which you're looking at now, um, that somebody had made a complaint to the General Medical Council about him. Now, we don't know, I don't know at least, what that complaint was about. I can guess, um, and that said the consequences. He, he left suicide notes, uh, one of which stated that dead men can't stand trial, um, and a couple of other things. Now, there's a couple of aspects to, to, to what Dr. Mc McPhillips did that I think are very, very interesting. And one of them is, is the way that he took his life. Um, this, this is a man that had access to, you know, practically every pharmaceutical concoction you can imagine. Um, he was a psychiatrist. He had plenty of ways to 
uh, to take his own life. Uh, and I should mention here briefly again that if you're going to be distressed by this kind of topic, uh, please skip this section. Um, but he, he hung himself, in, in, or at least that's what the news initially reported. It was changed later to, to not mention the method. Um, he hung himself from a bridge in a public place near his home. Um, it did, and why that's interesting is that hanging has got a long and deep uh, symbolic association with the penalty for high crimes, uh, treason, and betrayal. Um, it goes back at least as far as Judas. Of course, that's what Judas did. He, he, he purchased a piece of land with the 30 pieces of silver, and he hung himself there. Um, if you go further forward, Oliver Cromwell, the, the, the symbolic power of hanging was considered so important that Oliver Cromwell was dug up uh, three years after his death by royalist parties. Um, he had arranged the beheading of King Charles, that's the, not the current King Charles, naturally. Um, the royalists dug Oliver Cromwell up and hung him, hung the body at Tyburn, which is not far from actually from where Dr. McPhillips later hung himself. Um, they did that with a dead body, a rather unhygienic task, but because they wanted the symbolic nature of, of, of hanging was seen as important, that, this, that Cromwell had betrayed the king and he had to be hung. And Dr. McPhillips was a man that would have known of that kind of symbolic association. Hanging is a, is a very unpleasant um, way to take one's own life, doing it in public even more unpleasant. I don't know why he did it, but it sends a message whether he meant it to or not, and I, I find it unlikely he didn't mean it to, that this was an act of, he couldn't face justice, but he felt he had betrayed people and he wanted to make amends or face his just punishment. I could be wrong, I don't know what his suicide notes say, um, and who knows in the end the, the mentality of a person uh, acting in this way, but Dr. McPhillips was not out of his mind. He called the police and told them where he was so that they would find his body, not a, rather than a member of the public. He would have known of the symbolism of hanging. And he would have known that, it would, that there were people like myself who would see it and take that message out of it. So I think it's a remarkable series of events, particularly considering that Bruce Hales told me to commit suicide. Um, and this is what it's led to. I would love to hear from the doctor's family. Um, I suspect that there's part of the background that they don't know, possibly. They might know it now. Um, I feel, I personally feel that he did betray me. Um, and I think it was a very, very, very grave betrayal. Um, I think he's, 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 he's paid the price now, if that's indeed what happened, if that's what he means. He's paid, paid, paid his price now, but it's a very tragic outcome. Um, and it's a shame it had to go that way, but the overarching theme of the story is the way that I think uh, a man like Bruce Hales can corrupt people. Yeah. So that's a very, very interesting analysis. And 
Of course, one factor in there, which you didn't mention, might be that that meeting, their fellowship meeting, as we call it, in Sutton with Bruce Hales, where he spends a whole page talking about suicide and poison, cyanide, and, you know, what the Nazis used in the Holocaust. Uh, that was actually published in the Times newspaper, which is like the most prestigious Times, you know, the most prestigious newspaper in the UK. And so no doubt Dr. McPhillips would have, you know, having an interest in the PBCC, no doubt would have read that article. And then he would have been aware, um, you know, he probably knew who was being spoken about and he would have been aware of his, his part in that you know, of being complicit in that whole system. So yep. Um, yep. it's hard to believe he would have missed that. I mean, it was like a, a two-page spread in the Times newspaper. Oh, there's no way he would have, have missed that, uh, that story. I was in touch with Dr. Mike uh, at, for some time after. Um, I didn't talk with him about the rat poison ministry itself, um, the suicide ministry, uh, but I did email him a couple of times. Um, and so he he definitely definitely would have known that um this is a guy okay uh, some of his colleagues had um had concerns about his links with the brethren as well i can mm. disclose um and he was you know very much in tune with 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 the community it would be un, it would be bizarre if he didn't know yes very bizarre. Mm. Now, I'm just going to very briefly grab a power cable because my laptop's running flat. If we can just briefly yep. adjourn for about 30 seconds. Yeah, pause it. Uh, have, we, have we done the, um, have we had a chance? This meeting is being recorded. Um, yeah, so resuming. Um, I would like to talk briefly about RRT, uh, the, the Brethren's new a relatively new public-facing charity. They set it up, as you would know, after the uh, the UK nearly uh, withdrew their charitable status for being of no public benefit. Um, and I, I think it's important to note from a from a from a you know a, a, a perspective, a neutral perspective. It looks like a very a very positive move. These people are are cooking burgers for. For people though that it, it is public charity um it's not limited to their own for the first time and, and that's all true and it's it is good to see um however it's uh, important to explain why it troubles and uh upsets those of us who are aware of who and why it was set up um and, and why the why the the meaning of it is not something that we fully uh, can support. And, I, and I'm speaking here as somebody who was deeply uneasy about RRT uh, for a long time, um, I, including when I was in the church. And, and, and the reason for that is, is that charity is not about actions in the end, it's about motives. Um, it's about the things that, that bind a society together. Um, and, and it's about a genuine desire to help others. Um, in terms of, in, 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 a, in its highest sense, charity is is the exact opposite of the principle of, of the doctrine of separation. Um, 
there is absolutely yeah. no point in cooking burgers for people who are damned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in more in days when the when the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church were had a higher level of integrity, they simply acknowledged that and they did no no charity. They discouraged it every which way they could. You would get in trouble. My sister got in trouble for sponsoring some Ethiopian child. That was yeah. the, those resources were supposed to be devoted to the assembly, um, and that's still their doctrine. And it, it will always be because the, 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 the charity is about the links between people, the bonds, and the common purpose, the common uh, star of, of of all humans. Um, that's what mm. charity is. It's and so RRT is fundamentally hypocritical. And I, I think the word hypocrisy, as far as I know, was probably coined by Christ himself. Um, he certainly used it in that sense. Um, yeah. It was originally a type of actor, I think. Um, is uh, Christ used it to describe people who are acting. Interesting. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so this, you know, Shakespeare coined a few words. Well, from JC did one or two too. And th that it's it's interesting that that word was if it was coined by him well it's interesting that it describes what rot is in a very very um very significant way it's hypocritical at the deepest level it's mm. it is the direct opposite of the underlying principle of the exclusive room if they would hold to the at least their principles that the world is damned it's corrupted, um, it's unsavable, and the only way to be saved is to separate from it. That's what underpins all of their doctrines. We'll live it, live it. And if the world doesn't like it and doesn't give you charitable status, well, that's the price you pay for your ideals sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. But Bruce Hales, a man who does not sense, seem to, he, he does not, he's, he's, you could say he's pragmatic, but he's, he, he's not principled. And it's not something, and I see, I see people I know that are principled in the, in the Britain and, and they, they're silencing their voices in their heads that must be saying, this is really bloody weird. This is oh. hypocritical. Yeah. Posting these posts about, about, about bringing families together for Christmas and, um, <laughs> and yet they haven't seen their own children for 35 years. Yeah. And they don't believe and in they, Christmas. <laughs> and they don't believe in Christmas. Um, it's it's incredibly awkward and uncomfortable and that and that awkwardness and discomfort means that it's something really really bad if you ask me it's really bad and i don't know where it's going um but it's not going anywhere good and uh, hypocrisy never does bless you so that's that's rrp and i think so um you know this uh, the other troubling aspect of it which i've uh, in, in, in RRT's uh, campaigns, it's been impossible to trace the, the, the outline of the things that are worrying Bruce Hales, um, the, the, the aspects where he feels vulnerable. Um, and obviously, there's been a lot of, there was a push, obviously, to, uh, to work with suicide prevention groups. Um, which was quite startling considering the ongoing 
line of coffins that separation produces. Um, but again, hypocrisy is not something that seems to have much meaning. Um, there was a push, obviously, and I, this is what I'm seeing more and more of, is that they're really focusing on working with police forces. Um, yes. yes. And unfortunately, that is, you know, it's fr from the perspective of, of the individuals behind ROT, that's very clever, very clever indeed. Um, mm. Police forces have a huge amount of discretion. They just by by default, they, they by design, but also there's no other way around it. They have a lot of discretion. They get given budgets to prevent wrongdoing, and they decide which wrongdoing matters. And if they are getting a lot of money from one particular entity, well, it's going to be a lot harder to to focus too much on that entity and its wrongdoings. And that's exactly what. I, Scientology did, um, and I believe the Mormons have done also in some smaller parts of the United States, where they're, 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 they're you know, they tended to live in geographic uh, cl communities, close, you know, fairly high density communities, and, and I think Scientology had a lot of close contacts with police forces. Um, mm. They were simultaneously doing a lot of the similar stuff the Brethren are doing. They, uh, you, you know, you look into the they called it the Guardian's office, and it sounds honestly like the kind of place that Brad Mitchell would have worked at very much. The Guardian's office operations, you check them out. They did, there was a lady who wrote a book about them in about 1979, and they broke into her house and stole her, 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 her letter-headed personal notepaper, which people in those days had so that they could send letters and it would have their own details on it. And then they used that, used that paper to send bomb threats to um, federal agencies. <laughs> so it sounded like their, their critic was trying to bomb threaten the federal government. Um, that eventually got blown up, but the, 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 the lady had to go through a lot of court cases and, and trouble over that. Yeah. So they framed her, in other words. They, they, they made her look like a criminal. They had her she arrested. Yeah. Exactly. And the Scientology, they had a concept called fear game, yeah. which... Yeah was as those persons that criticized Scientology were fair game and that meant that there was the only limitations on what could be done to them were the the limitations of what the church could or could not get away with wow that's what fair game so that, that, that's a very similar doctrine in Scientology and it's, it's, you can see it you know those of us who have been in this in the brethren and know that their attitudes towards non-brethren that is exactly how they think yeah. yeah, and the hard limits are what you can get away with. Yeah. So is that, I mean, that's a very similar idea to in fundamentalist Islamic groups, what they would call a fatwa, uh, as happened to Salman Rushdie, the famous author recently, where they basically mm. say anyone can do what they like to this guy. We're going to look the other way. In fact, we'll, you know, we'll we'll scratch your back. Well, the fatwa yeah. is explicitly. It's a, it's a little bit different in the sense that a fatwa, and they've got different terms and conditions, but they typically say, look, a fatwa is your job, this person must die. Yeah. So it's every Muslim's responsibility to kill the individual. Um, yeah. Which, at least, you can at least give that the credit of being, um, having some level of integrity, and in that they say, we want to kill you, and we are going to try and do that. Yes, yeah. That, 
you can touch and poke that thing and you can see what they're trying to do. You know, there's no yeah, deceit. Public, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> whereas um, a fair, the concept of fair game and which, you know, as the brethren play it with opposers, um, yeah. is it's deceit is part of the game. It's, it's, you yeah. know, it's about doing it in an undercover way and, and making sure that, that, that the proper people and authorities aren't aware of what they're trying to do. Yeah, they're very clever they with how they do it behind the scenes, right? They're very yeah. clever. And I think that's one of the things that I try to explain with um, some of the groups that um, I'm a part of right now, trying to uh, explain the PPCC, is there so many people are so unaware that they hide behind this veneer of just this beautiful Christianity um, church, right? They don't understand the evil that goes on and behind it and how they cover that evil up. I think that's a very important point in terms of, it explains, uh, so every every politician and every you know person really has got an image of the world that they want, how they want the world to see. Yeah. And that's what they work towards, right? And from a distance, there's, there's a, a huge number of particularly uh, conservative, middle-aged white guys uh, wasps, as the Americans would call them, <laughs> who really fall for the vision of, of society that, 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 for the cover of the book labeled Exclusive Ribbon. They don't read the book, but they look at the cover and they like it. Mm. And it, that explains, I think, you know, honestly, there's a, there's a parade of people that have gotten into bed with the Ribbon and this, and, and they should never have, um, and, and it's gonna, and it burns them. Um, Dr. McPhillips is, is the latest unfortunate example. I, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to find that he was, you know, a conservatively minded man, probably a, a Christian at some level. Um, but we've had here, we had Don, Don Brash. Um, there was John Howard. There was, to my surprise, actually, Stephen Harper. Um, yeah. I thought he was a bit smarter than that, but, you know, I misjudged him. Um, the George Bush type, George Bush type persons, um, I think David Cameron is probably a bit, probably a bit too, a bit more intelligent. Um, but it also extends, of course, to some of these these, these individuals in, in the legal fraternity. Mr. Gerald Trapure comes to mind. Um, lovely chap. I connected with him on LinkedIn. Um, sent him a couple yeah. of messages, actually. Um, he, he's a profound Christian, right? I, I thought that he would, he, we could engage on that now. Um, it seems that his Christianity doesn't extend to, you know, granting a cup of water to, he didn't reply, no, and he disconnected and then reconnected. Um, I, didn't, I, I forget, I'm not sure if I asked him whether he arranged the kidnapping or was involved in the meeting arranging the kidnapping. I don't think I did, but he, he was, of course, uh, very much involved in the whole Brad Mitchell shebang, um, and yeah. he's... He's a devout Christian, and I thought that he would he would be happy to engage with me. Disappointing, really. <laughs> yes, well, a, um, a, a podcaster in Canada called Jesse Brown, who uh, runs Canada Land, which I think is Canada's uh, top podcast, um, took David Wallace along uh, in the in the. This is in the course of making their podcast Ratfucker, which is basically about David Wallace and the Brethren. Sorry, would you just go over the name of that uh, that that episode again, there, Richard? I just missed it's it. Called, it's called Ratfucker. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a word. I, that's a word I learned from Cheryl, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah, I, 
I assume it's, it's this, this, this French influence in Canada. You guys have a dreadful language, honestly. It's a technical term. Ah. Yes, it's, it's a, there's no relation to reproduction at all. Um, so anyway, um, Jesse Brown, David Wallace, and the cameraman and the team all went along to Gerald Chappell's uh, high-rise offices in the center of Calgary and said they would like to see him uh, and this is all on the podcast you can listen to all this happening um and uh, no they didn't have an appointment but could they possibly see him anyway so they all go upstairs and they sit around in his private kind of waiting room outside his you know because he's a very top qc i suppose he's a KC now whatever they are um he actually has his sort of private waiting area for his clients with free biscuits mm. and coffee and so on uh, where they can review the where, where they can review the legality of their planned kidnappings. Is that what the waiting room is yeah, for? Yeah, the, exactly. For yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, so they all sat around there, the whole team, and they ate all his biscuits um, and drank all his coffee. But Chappelle, strangely enough, was, was just fully engaged the whole time and didn't emerge from his so, A curiously reticent man, you know, yeah, for one that... Yeah. Um, you know, he must surely have read the scripture that, you know, you don't hide your light under a bushel. Well, I think it was um, under his desk, actually, but... Well, <laughs> maybe he doesn't have a light. I don't know. Um, well, that's entirely possible, yeah. But he's, he's a classic case in point. How we got onto him is that he's a, he's a conservative, middle-aged white guy that thinks that some kind of theocratic republic is... You know, I'm, I'm speculating here on actually on, on what Gerald's own views are, but I'm, I'm speaking in general terms here. There are sort of guys that think that, that, that some kind of combination of the 1950s England and 1930s Soviet Union is the future. Um, yeah, exactly, where, yeah. Yeah. where they're in charge. And they are very susceptible to the, to, to, to the individuals like Bruce Hales and his minions and his money. Yes. And, and you know, it's 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 not it's not the way for they're, they're being misled really. Um, yeah. Mr. Yeah. Chapur isn't isn't going to achieve what he wants to achieve by helping these people kidnap Richard Marsh. He's not no. going to build the world he wants to see. No, no. And they no, don't it's, care. It's, 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 I mean, he probably he's been corrupted, and he's being and, and he's being played, and and that's exactly the same with with Dr. Michael McPhillips and with Don Brash and with all of these other people that it's all ended up in the same place, and it will. Mm, mm. And they will end up in a bin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, technically, you know, a, a bin potentially in some cases, a coffin in others, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. But that's a very very interesting perspective. That is really food for thought. I hadn't really seen it quite like that before. But just the potential of these brethren with their, you know, their theocracy and their money to corrupt um, people who may once have been principled or would think of themselves as yeah. principled, but the combination of uh, God and money drags uh, them it, it, it very yeah. Yes, and, you know, it is... Uh, I very much a slippery slope basis. You know, I think I think Mr. Shapiro probably never thought when he first set up that website in 2005 or that whatever it was where he referred to himself in the third person as um, <laughs> Mr. Bruce Hales has, uh, has set up the all of the trusts in his own name on the advice of a leading uh, a leading solicitor. I think the term was 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, which I suspect is Mr. Chapur referring to himself um, yeah. as a leading yeah. solicitor, which <laughs> is cool, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, if it's true, it's true, you can say it. Um, he probably never thought he would end up be sitting in a meeting where, with Brad Mitchell discussing whatever they discussed. You can't pull out, you know, each step you take leads you in a situation where, I mean, look at what, uh, what's his name, You're, the guy that was, um, David Wallace. The, the guy that, uh, Wallace, yes, so look at what he's had to, to lose to yeah. pull out. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. And I suppose it's also true that by this stage, the brethren have so much dirt on Shippur that if Shippur wanted to pull out, he probably couldn't because the brethren yeah. could destroy him with what they know about the guy and what they could put out there. About yeah, yes. And as with the, exactly as with David, David Wallace. And I, I wouldn't be at all surprised. In fact, I would find it most likely that the, the situation with Dr. McPhillips was exactly the same. And you said they even do that with members that get restored back in. I mean, we we're in contact with somebody now and that's exactly they hold so much over his head that he just can't leave. He wants to leave, but he can't leave. And it, it is they tie people on those 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 tangles of getting all the dirt on you, um, paying off of all your debt, giving that, you know, flaunting all their money and then making it impossible for anybody to get out of their web. Yep. Um, yeah, we, you know, every every system of control, um, uh, high control structure works that way. Um, they love to get, the Russians call it compromat. Um, but the, it's, it's a familiar system to, to any, any um, if you look at the USSR, for instance, where they, they had to build walls on one hand to pe keep people from leaving. Um, mm. But even to, to this day in Russia, there's this hierarchy of, of control leading up to the same individual, and all of those, those all of that control is it's coercive control. Yeah. And, and, and it, it, what kind of coercion is used? There's all kinds of coercion. There's financial. There's you know there's there's threats that are that are illegal in the terms of you know blackmail and that kind of thing that happens. Um, but a lot of it's just financial and family and you end up with a structure that's very, very, very unfree, very corrupt, very coercive. And it sits there in plain sight because nobody can, it, it, it hides in plain sight because you can't see those ties. You can't see those bonds. They're not, they're like these blokes walking around with guns. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's a very I mean, interesting analogy, um, talking about the communists having to build walls like the Iron Curtain and the Berlin Wall. Because the interesting thing is that the, the people who lived in those communist countries were told that they had to have the walls to keep the wicked capitalists out. Mm -hmm. So they were told the wall was for their protection, while of course, in fact, it was to keep them in. And it's exactly the same mm -hmm. with the brethren, that their wall of separation is not actually to keep the world out, it's to keep the brethren in. Yeah, absolutely. Captive audience, there is captive consumer base. Um, and it's an important, uh, there's, a, there's an excellent statement, which I um, was first mooted, the first time I heard it was around Donald Trump's first election campaign. And it, to, be, to be fair, it's, yeah, I'm not sure which way it would go in that context. But 
the saying is that if you build walls to keep people in, that makes you a slave owner. If you build walls to keep people out, that makes you a property owner. Hmm. <laughs> um, and I think it's, it, it's important. It, that is an important yes. distinction. Yeah, yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. That's deep, yeah. Um, and another, yeah, uh, so that is deep. Uh, th that brings me to, to mind of another, this is just going through a couple of sayings that I think are important and relevant to the brethren, but another one that of course is important uh, and deep is, um, and stepping back to RRT, that hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue. Now that was said by a French dude and about a French moral philosopher about 250 years ago. And what he means, what it means is that hypocrites are, by, 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 acti by engaging in hypocrisy, people are admitting that they're, they're, they're aware of, of, that their behavior is wrong. Yeah. If you're going to be, if you're going to speak fine words of what you are committed to, about bringing families together for Christmas. That is an admission that you were aware that all of the families that you've separated, that that is actually wrong. Yes, aware of it. to put it another way, oh. if, the, if the brethren had integrity uh, and they were indeed true Christians and actually followed the teachings of Jesus, they wouldn't need an RRT because the whole thing would be just what they were. Well, exactly. It would be they would be bringing families together for Christmas, yeah. Which is a you know, they, they say that it's their idea. Well, I I said go for it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very interesting. Yeah, I think I think um, also when you look at their focus on women's shelters and women in crisis, it points out the way they treat women inside there. Absolutely. So that's what I was commenting before is that the contours of RRTs, uh, you can follow their, their campaigns and you can see where Bruce feels he's vulnerable. Yeah, go ahead. Go on. No, go ahead. Oh, well, no, I was just going to say, you know, that, and that's, that's interesting, that, that particular comment there. So effectively, RRT's focus is almost exclusively on the areas where the brethren's abuses are the most severe. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We have a latest recording of, um, I actually don't even know what they called it. There was this big, huge global Zoom call here this week. Strive 23. What was it called? Strive 23. Yeah, where they're trying to like increase their profit, profit five times in 2023 or something like that. Anyhow, there's a we got a recording of, D, it was Dean Hales, right? It was Dean Hales who's talking about how thankful he is for the sisters and how important they are in their ecosystem and i'm like who who re, like who relates to women being a part of a christian group as an ecosystem like i sat there listening to this thing thinking oh, my heart just broke for every one of those single females in there because they don't know any better and yet literally they're being buttered up by this man who's referring to them as an ecosystem Animals. Literally yeah. animals, and if what animals, kind of a what kind of a misogynist thinks he has control over whether or not women should be in the ecosystem? That's my question. Uh, and the <laughs> other thing that was striking is that they were saying um, 
But they, they want every every woman over the age of 18 needs to volunteer to work at the Campus and Co supermarkets. And uh, unpaid labour is just a classic uh, yeah. cult tactic. All cults have unpaid labour. And and apparently that the reason for this is it would help them with their mental health. Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah, see, so that's actually proving to be a significant... Uh, there's a similar cultic group... Um, here in New Zealand called Gloria Vale, you may have seen of it. Um, yeah. They actually live in a commune. Um, and the, a lot of their uh, business activities are now being frozen out of, of, of their customers because it turns out that they've been using a lot of unpaid labour or very poorly paid labour, very similar uh, to what the Brethren do um, and are doing. It's pretty striking if you've got a recording of, of that statement. Um, but RRT is exactly the same. I, I, I went to, I, I think I, I volunteered for RIT twice, maybe. Um, yeah. I was not a fan. Yeah. Uh, but there was kind of pressure to do, to come along. Um, and there was I standing at this, feeding sausages to some local frigging whatever it was. Uh, and, I, and I didn't actually... I thought this was hypocritical. I didn't want to be there. Yeah. But the fascinating thing is that, is that both in the UK, I believe, and Australia, the RRT got caught out because it turned out that about half the money they take in were actually being used to pay management wages. So the RRT management was getting a very fat wage out of charity money. And then they got caught out in this, and then they had to go over and, and make all their management volunteers, which means they just pay them through some other back route. But you may not have been aware of it while you were serving. I, well, I don't know about, I mean, I, I think that's important, too, that that's important too, but what I would like to do is, is somehow find out how to become a contractor as a videographer for ROT. I believe there's significant money to be made there, and I've still got to pay for my private jet. <laughs> yes, apparently when a, if a cameraman from any news company turns up at one of their operations, they're all kind of instructed to, to parade in front of the camera and suddenly become very mm. over-friendly. Yeah, but they, they do their own videos. You know, the, RRT jackets, you know, like the RRT, the RRT Global Newswire is the latest thing. Um, yeah, the, the, there's, you know, there's a, a huge amount of branding. There is a bit of a difficulty. Obviously, marketing is something that I keep an eye on and, and, and I sort of enjoy. There's the difficulty that RIT is, is, you know, it's being branded heavily and that brand is being established. But in order to establish that brand with the way that it has is that it's had to be entirely disassociated with the Plymouth Brethren or exclusive Brethren brands. Um, yeah. And so a great deal of its goodwill is extremely difficult for them to leverage. You get these awkward situations where um, they, they I, I think I saw it was a response to Jessie Shedden, some article which, which referred to her, and, and the church was desperately trying to associate them with ROT, associate themselves with ROT, whereas most of the time they are trying to distance themselves from ROT so that they don't, because the, the exclusive brethren are like a, an albatross around RRT's neck. Yeah, um, particularly in New Zealand, and, where they're yes. ready, so they're ready to try and, try and keep them separate, and then, 
but then when they want the goodwill, they have to try and tie them together. But that then poisons the brand. So then they have to. It's very difficult because it's essentially hypocritical. They can't tie RRT. There's no RRT by PBCC, which you know a normal church does that. They've got yeah yeah so, so what they do is in their public you know when they're out on site it just says rrt um but then they get the video and they get the photos and they publish them on the pbcc website and there suddenly oh this is a wonderful example of pbcc compassion but when they're out Basically. facing the public they kind of keep that very very low key because otherwise mm. someone might come and tell them they're a bunch of cultists well, yeah, I mean, I don't know who they, the other good job that they would have as the person that gets to sit and delete comments on their social media posts. <laughs> you know, you've got to work hard, long hours, but I imagine that, um, yeah. or, you know, it's, it's, it's three shifts, eight hours, eight, eight hours, each, 24 yeah. seven. Well, they probably have to have a set of replacement delete buttons on their laptop because they wear them out, you know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's, it's it's all, as I said to you earlier, you know, all of this stuff, it, it's not normal. It's not okay to have to delete comments on your face, Facebook posts to like you're a freaking presidential candidate or, or, or this is, this is odd. And, and, and it should be, the people that are hanging to do with our, having to do with ROT should be thinking, they, it's not it's not that this stuff is all hidden. You can look. You can look it up. You can look up why they were set up. And if there's a tentacle hanging out of a bed, hanging out from underneath a bed, you don't get in the bed or move the bed or look under the bed. You just back quietly out of the room, right? It's a moral lesson from from a horror from horror movies. One of many profound moral lessons they contain. No, in this case, there's there's three tentacles and a couple of severed limbs lying on the floor. And yet these 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 people. Legitimate charities are like, oh, that's fine. Just ignore the putrid smell. The bead is comfortable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably here. better than backing out. You could go in with a flamethrower, couldn't you? Well, you can. That's the other alternative. Um, I, you know, for the actual monster, yes, for the ROT, I think that their sausages are perfectly well done as it is. Thank you. <laughs> You had some you had some news I, I, I think on a, a little organization called Unispace or some such name. Is that something you could Well I don't have news. I don't have news. I've only got um you know what's actually already widely known. It's widely known. Um, uh, and it will um this this you know, things are happening on that front. But but Unispace um yeah, how to you know we've got to be careful what we say, but Unispace was involved in what I can say is, is a, a pump and dump fraud. So, so just um, to jump back and tell, for those who don't know among our audience, uh, what is Unispace, who owns it, who set it up? Nothing and how did it come to Plymouth Brethren, I assume. Yeah, yeah. So... I mean, this is a big story, a long story, complex story. Um, is and, and some aspects of it are known, some aspects of it are not known, uh, some aspects of it are 
strongly indicated by circumstantial evidence. Um, so everything I'm saying here is my honest belief. Um, it's my honest opinion. Uh, I will generally try to disclose and comment when it's something that's speculative or when it's something that is absolutely known. Um, yeah. And when it's something that isn't known. Unispace is a conglomerate, um, which it's, it's a office for that firm. Um, a multinational. It was created in starting in 2010, 2011 by effectively by Bruce Hales and his boys, but primarily I expect by the former, uh, stitching together family owned, Brethren family owned office fit out firms. Now there was a lot of them around the world. I think probably people had copied the Hales business model from Sydney, the Archway House model. Um, and a, a significant number of firms, I don't know how many, were, were stitched together. Um, there was obviously uh, a, a branch in New Zealand or two of Unispace, and there was offices in New York, um, you know, you know, Sydney, obviously, London, the usual okay. places. Yeah. They were stitched together. They were stitched together from smaller, older firms. Um, that was what Unispace was, and it was they were put on this new big brand, and it was a kind of a, a Frankenstein. Um, then a bizarre set of things, and, and that was all well and good in terms of, you know, it's a bit odd for a man of God to be rushing about doing that, but, you know, it's pseudo-legitimate. I mean, yeah, it was probably hard for people to, there was probably significant coercion involved, but... You know, people, it's, there's no obvious motives to be, for that to be corrupt. So I, it's okay. But then, once Unispace was built, um, and, and starting in 2014 in, in Auckland, um, actually, the school in Auckland was, was instructed, the trustees were instructed by some, a couple of trust members who uh, were in close contact with Sydney, um, so therefore could not be gained. So when, when you say Sydney, which you've said a few times in the podcast. Sydney, I use it in reference in the same way you talk. Yes, I, Sydney is Bruce Hales in the same way as that Moscow was Vladimir Putin or yeah. Washington is. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the uh, school trustee were, were effectively told that they were giving a big, a, a, a large contract to Unispace. One of the trustees was in fact himself a shareholder in Unispace. Um, he was the one issuing the instructions. Um, and the this was of course using charitable money because the school is, is effectively the way it's worked, it's, it's tax exempt money. Um, and this was because the, uh, the Bruce Hales had announced that there was this new initiative, uh, self-directed learning to be rolled out, a very avant-garde sort of vogue educational concept. Um, people uh, learn in big uh, open plan areas, uh, children of all different age groups working, you know, learning together. It's all very modern and, and, and whatnot, but it does need specific facilities to suit. It doesn't suit the traditional classroom. So there was a lot of work to be done to roll this out. None of the schools had these learning centers. Um, and the thing is, is that this, this learning center contract came in quite expensive, quite expensive. Um, I think the final invoice was, I think it was more than half a million dollars for the work. That's a lot of um, 
Yeah, quite a lot. Yes, yeah, and, and particularly when it's you know you're, you're getting to instruct the um, your, you know, the trustees are being forced to give the contract to this one company. Um, but then, lo and behold, and my dad, there's a there's a long, long, long story. Dad was a, Dad was the finance trustee on the Auckland School. He opposed it. He would not authorize it, um, and he was eventually told in a, no uncertain terms that he was opposing the will of Bruce Hales. <laughs> That's even worse than opposing the will of God, isn't it? <laughs> well, God tends to be—he tends to be a bit more um, cheerful about it when you oppose his will. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, the, the, the thing went ahead because what are you going to do? Um, how do you stop? How do you how do you stop that? Hmm. Um, and that was kind of a precedent, and then it was kind of rolled out. Uh, and we—I don't know how many. Uh, uni space, how, how many schools uni space fitted out? But a ballpark estimate would be a hundred of those jobs. Wow. Um, and so that's like the 50, 50 million or so. Yeah. What, what well, yes, in terms of in terms of in terms of in terms of padding the profits of uni space. Well, I mean, we I can state conclusively that that happened here and in Auckland. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. And that added the profits of Unispace in the New Zealand division. And that I can yeah. state also that that would have inflated that those I can state with near certainty that that won't have been disclosed to the new purchasers of Unispace. And they will not know that the profitability of their company has been inflated in that way. Huh. Wow. So they what? did this not what? just to pull charity money. What, they, what I do not know. Yeah. is, you know, in terms of the company that was turning over in the order, it was had a, I think they had an $18 million profit uh, in 2018 or 2019, um, which is just later, just before the initial sale. I And mm -hmm. the figures are public. Um, I do, so the, the, the events in Auckland are not, you know, significant in terms of impacting the value of a company um, of that scale. However, if, as, is, as I have strong reason to believe, though that, that, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars of additional profit um, was repeated a hundred times, yeah. then that would have dramatically inflated the value, the perceived value of Unispace to a buyer who was not aware of that background. That's now, yeah. curiously, the first buyer, the Hales family sold it um, to a in, in early 2020 to a company called um, uh, not PAG. That's the current guys, um, a, 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 an Australian-based venture capital firm. Yeah, I remember um, that. Yeah, yeah, and and then shortly thereafter, for unknown reasons, uh, they backed out. They cancelled the purchase. Mm. Now they said it was because of COVID, which could be true, but it might not be true. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the 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 firm was sold for a twenty five percent discount a second time. Yeah. Um, to PAG, which of course it struck me that their 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 the management is based in Hong Kong, um, yeah. and I think one of their senior guys is a, a, a an Asian gentleman. Um, yeah. who probably doesn't know too much about these little sort of weird Anglo-Saxon cultural 
phenomena. <laughs> Just saying. Um, yeah. I, so it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I'd be fairly confident he doesn't know that background, Mister. Yeah. Um, um, chairman, um, which it, it will. More of that will come out in due course. I don't think they. Uh, you know, it's hard to escape the fact that that stuff happens. Um, yeah. And I, I can testify with 100% certainty to a small part of the picture, and I yep. can say that I can see all evidence suggests that what I've seen is only 1% of it. Yeah. Um, and so to, so, um, that was all paid for with that was that those contracts were financed using charitable, you know, tax exempt money. So it was a very efficient way to pump. It would be a very efficient way to pump a company, if I can put it that way. It would be. Um, that's that's just that's that's alleged at this point uh you know because it's 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 outside of the tax system but that's part of the trouble is that an organization like the brethren that's got tax charitable status uh and is centrally controlled by a certain individual effectively it's very easy to commit that kind of um to 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 make those to 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 misuse charitable status in that way yeah um it's not the system, the, the tax system, and indeed the charitable laws and, and are not designed from a framework where, they're designed for a framework where the brethren are what they say they are, which is a, a, a network of individually governed sort of assemblies. Yeah. Um, yeah. If that was the case, then the law is appropriate. It's not the case. Mm. No. So to sum up, uh, what you... What you feel has happened, uh, what you're alleging has happened, is that Unispace, which was owned basically by the Hales family, um, they inflated their profits by coercing uh, brethren-run schools, uh, potentially all around the globe, potentially all the brethren-run schools of any size around the globe, to purchase their furniture, which inflated the profits of the company, and they then sold the company um at a much higher value than it was actually worth because in future they would not be gaining those um brethren contracts you're uh, you're a very plan? you're a very perspicacious young man mr marsh thank you thank you i'll go with the young bit i don't know about the rest <laughs> uh yes um, look, the, the new owners may be aware that that was the business model. Maybe they have their own network of private charitable schools that they are going to continue. Yeah. Kind of. Maybe they've got their own cult they can rip off. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe, maybe they are just happy that with a business that isn't performing quite like the trajectories planned it indicated yeah. that it would. Or maybe. You know, there's all sorts of possibilities. Maybe the whole thing is some kind of gigantic villainesque, James Bond villainesque kind of part of a bigger picture. I don't know, but you know, I'm a simple man. I, I see people giving themselves contracts and then selling their company. Um, I say that's I say that that's a fucking pump and dump. Yeah, good way to put it. Just put it like that. But even on a smaller scale, on a local scale to coerce a, a school with charitable money to buy furniture from uh, the company that's owned by the person who runs the cult. I mean, that's kind of immoral, isn't it? I mean, that really stinks. 
even without the council. I mean, it's a very good way to launder charitable money into nice fat cash in Bruce's pocket, isn't it? Yeah, there's actually more to it. There's even more to it. It gets worse in some cases. But yes, that is definitely a tentacle poking out from under the bed. Um, <laughs> the other tentacle I'd like to point out, um, and this is speculative, but in the UK, as you know, the um, I think 52 different brethren companies scooped uh, the bulk of the COVID contracts, uh, sort of a 3.2 billion. Win yeah, I, now, if it was about 50, I think it was about five percent of the UK's COVID stimulus, which is a significant chunk yeah. for. 0.005% of the population, and yes, that is definitely a freaky, that's a severed limb, to be honest, that's a, that's not just yeah. a tentacle, that, there's something really weird going on there. Um, yeah, so no, I like internal organs as well. Um, but my point I like, is, my point I like is, Boris Johnson, okay, so I will say this here, I like Boris Johnson's spirit and the character and the, the humour of the man. Um, I do not think he had, you know, he was a very easily exploitable man because he was completely away with the fairies. And in yeah. terms of he was thinking, he was thinking of sort of Greek and Latin phrases for the next thing that he was going to try and say. <laughs> and that was wonderful. But he, he, he really, really allowed corruption to happen under his watch with the COVID situation. Um, and I, I, I find don't it. Know what happened with the with those contracts? And obviously there was some backhanders, and there was dirty dealing with the conservatives. But I'm just looking ahead. So now you've got 52 brethren companies who are all on the NHS as approved supplier list. Now when NHS gets back to normal and starts putting out competitive contracts rather than single source contracts, they might send out a contract three or four ways to three or four different companies. But the chances are that all those companies will actually be owned by Plymouth Brethren. Now, are those contracts going to be truly competitive or is there going to be a price fixing going on? Because it's actually well, in print in ministry that to compete with another Brethren company would be a test of fellowship. That's the trouble with the the whole situation is that there's a court. People talk about the corporate veil, right? So you, yeah. you you're not supposed. The courts sometimes pierce the corporate veil, which means to look through the the ownership, through you know to pierce through the um, behaviour of the corporation to look at the the people that own it and their interests yeah. in there. And effectively, with the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, is that there's. A, a, a religious veil and the yeah. the the, the, chair, the authorities are very very reluctant to pierce that veil mm. and, and look at who you know in many cases and in many places brethren entities work together in a, in a cartel-like way that's very very common yes, yes exactly but yeah. they are protected unlike most cartels they are protected by that religious veil and the courts and the legal systems are very very reluctant they currently have no real framework to to look beyond you know at the internal structure of, of, of the Plymouth Brethren and the, the flow of, of wealth of influence of control that actually all leads back to one place yeah so just it, the authorities the brethren, claim, sorry. <laughs> you go. The brethren claim that their each assembly is autonomous, 
and, and this is, uh, you know, one of their completely false claims they make that each each local assembly operates autonomously. So if something bad happens in one local assembly, you can't blame that on Mr. Bruce. You can't blame it on the global leadership. So in exactly the same way, they claim that each of the brethren businesses is autonomous. Well, in reality, all of those brethren businesses under UBT operate as a single uh, non-competitive entity and manipulate the market to make sure that they have effectively as much of a cartel or as much of a monopoly as they can possibly get, um, which gives them particular advantage when they're bidding for competitive government contracts, because the chances are the government is is going to be buying from the brethren, regardless of which of the three companies they 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 choose to take for the bid. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to, um, I'm not you know, familiar with the situation in, in the UK. Every industry and every market's got its own circumstances and some are more competitive than others. Some are, you know, some are not competitive. Uh, it's, it's, markets are very organic, right? So they, they, yeah. they're not something that, um, sometimes behavior can look like cartels and it's not, and sometimes it, not look like cartel behavior and it is um i don't know i would have thought you know in, as far as the nhs goes i would have thought they had a fairly diverse supplier network um it, it, they do have you know they're a very large purchaser of equipment surely they're, yeah. they're a single source buyer um and i would have thought they had fairly good systems in place to ensure that they that they are not being taken for a ride but it is the kind of thing that I certainly know it would it would fit a certain playbook that I'm familiar with to arrange that kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah 100%. I mean, at uh, the very least, buyers should be aware of the brethren link between certain companies. I mean, they should... Yeah, one of the things that I actually find... Companies, yeah. One of the things that I would like to highlight, and I think is really is really curious, uh, interesting, about the um, the COVID contracts, um, mm. and particularly telling, is the way that, of course, the Guardian investigation discovered that uh, some of the uni the Unispace healthcare products, which of course Unispace Healthcare was then renamed to um, Sante Group. Yeah, but so they were getting a sourcing equipment that uh, PPE that was being manufactured by North Korean slave labor. Yes, yes, I remember that. that, that, that really, really interesting. <laughs> um, because of course, supply chains are it, it testifies firstly to the way that they suddenly piled they with no expertise in the in, uh, history in the industry, they suddenly piled into PPE, and so they weren't able to, um, you know, properly vet their supply chains. Um, yeah. But more so they may not have cared, uh, potentially. Potentially it was, you know, we, as the Guardian's report noted, they didn't know whether Unispace was aware that that's who they were yeah. paying. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it, birds of a feather tend to flock together, like, as again, with the tentacle hanging out from under the bed. If that's what you see, and then you look, look under the bed, you will find... <laughs> It's not going to be a bunch of folded linen motherhood and no. apple pie under there. <laughs> and yes. the fact that there's, there's these PPE contracts, which were just stank to high heaven, to be honest. Yes. 
Yes. And then it's just not a coincidence that the money is then going to North Korea to yes. <laughs> people who are working for nothing but rice so that yeah. their money can be used by Mr. Kim Jong-un to, to build a nuclear bomb. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's nice. it's an incredibly direct set of, like, honestly, there is n this is a freaking monster. This is a great big monster under the bed. Yeah. Boris Johnson's PPE money is building a nuclear bomb. Because yeah. in the middleman is Bruce Hales. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Look to me. <laughs> I'm just a simple man. But isn't it true that every time you start digging into a PBCC scandal, the deeper you dig, the more you find? Mm. I mean, it, 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 you know, you never get to the bottom of it. No. And, and you, you end up with a kind of a cone-shaped hole. You started with a little excavation at the top, and the deeper you go, the wider it gets until, you know, mm -hmm. you can fit a couple of cathedrals and a Boeing 747 in there, and you've still got shit yep. at the bottom. No, yep. Yep. Yeah, we should probably land uh, this plane anyhow. <laughs> and then is that been uh, it's been two hours of talk. Uh, that uh, has been a pleasure to catch up. Um, we will. <laughs> I think we've covered a bit of ground. Um, I will have, have look. Yes, I will. When we get this um, this plane landed, I will get my lawyer to cast an eye over it. But I think okay. I think it's about time just that some of these things started being said. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. a uh, the Ronald Reagan uh, once said spoke about an old lady at the Blitz um, in the UK in London, and her house had been bombed, and the only position that the rescuers were able to pull out from the wreckage was a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> and they, they 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 tried to get the old lady to take a swig of the bottle of whiskey and um and she said no 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 that's for emergencies <laughs> um, Regan told that story in Parliament in I think nineteen in, in, in Westminster in about nineteen eighty one referring to the Soviet Union. Um in terms of there was all of these these resources these these stories these these things that people know and, and it's sitting in plain sight and they're not they're, we're not using them because they're free, it's kind of for emergencies <laughs> this is the emergency time to start talking right okay okay thank you very much for thank joining us so Brayden. Um, take care to share your story or be a guest on the show email info dot get a life at proton.me dot